This is Overnights on ABC Radio, and we head at this point to the United States. Celeste Katzmarston is with us in the beautiful city of Boston in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Celeste, good morning. Welcome back. Glad to be here. Uh, you know, we were just chatting during the news that this is one of the times that uh, British politics is... <laughs> it's funny. I mean, do Americans generally kind of understand the whys and wherefores of how someone who was elected can just be tossed out? Well, we do have a mechanism for recall elections mm. in the United States. In some states, uh, it's fairly common. California, you see a lot of recall elections, for example. Uh, but typically, once somebody's in, that's kind of it. Yeah. So recall is where the voters actually have a say, rather than here, where it's just the members of parliament who decide, you know what, we don't like you anymore. It's kind of funny. Because uh, we have the same system here and we used to get rid of our leaders all the time. Let's talk about, obviously, well, you know, some people say it's a divisive topic uh, and that's the whole abortion situation in America and Roe versus Wade, which has now been changed. Um, in fact, most people agree with women being able to access an abortion in pretty much every state. What are the figures on that sort of thing? Yeah, there was a, there was a poll recently that said about six in 10 people disapproved of the idea of the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe versus Wade, which goes back to 1973, sort of enshrining the, the legal right to an abortion. Uh, but the majority of Americans think that uh, women should be able to uh, to end a pregnancy if they so choose. So uh, very controversial decision. Uh, now it gets sent back to the states and some of the states have already essentially uh, outlawed legal abortion so the question though is why should it be in the constitution given that americans generally or america you know doesn't like giving too much power to the federal government they prefer it to reside in the states or even local areas why shouldn't it be a a state by state situation well, obviously, the word abortion does not appear in the Constitution. There is no uh, explicitly guaranteed right to uh, at an abortion. But there are other provisions in the Constitution that have been used to uh, guarantee people the right to the freedom and the privacy uh, that they require in order to make those kinds of decisions about their health and their bodies and, and uh, whether or not to uh, have children and carry them to term and so on. So there don't have to necessarily be um, sort of a word for word guarantee of an individual freedom in order for people to uh, claim that freedom and to exercise it. And uh, abortion falls into or has fallen into this sort of this gray area because of all the questions, obviously, about uh, what constitutes life, when does life begin, what are the rights of a child before, uh, you know, sort of leaving the, the body or leaving the womb and so on. But, uh, you know, in this case, it's it's been something that's really been argued over and challenged and upheld for 50 years until now. So we're constantly told that elections have consequences, and here is a stark consequence that those who voted either for Donald Trump, knowing that he would put uh, what are called pro-life judges on the Supreme Court, 
that is definitely a consequence. And also, if they continue to vote in, say, Republican um, state governors or state houses, that they know the result of that as well, as we've seen that they had these laws ready to go or they'd already passed those laws. So do you think now, how is this going to manifest itself at the November midterm elections where, you know, the, the House of Representatives is all, uh, you know, they're all up for, uh, for voting. A lot of state uh, legislatures as well, uh, governors, like people, if they don't like what has happened, here is their chance to get to the polls and make their feelings known. Do you think that will happen? Because on the other side, those who are quote-unquote pro-life, they have made it their one issue this whole time, the last 50 years. Is this going to happen on the other side? Yeah, the thing about abortion is, and it is commonly called a wedge issue, is it the most important or the only, is it the only issue in American politics and civic life? Certainly it is not. But the thing about abortion is that it's extremely galvanizing on both sides of the argument, on both sides of the equation. And so uh, as much as uh, Democrats are saying, look, if you didn't like what the Supreme Court did, if you want to uh, push back or uh, speak out against this, go to the polls, uh, Republicans and conservatives can very much say the same thing. Look, we have been fighting Roe versus Wade and all the associated laws uh, that go along with it for over 50 years, and we have this huge victory. We now need to keep up this momentum. We need to uh, really safeguard this at the state level to make sure, because it does go back to the states, as you say. Uh, so I think it can be extremely mobilizing, but on both sides, not just uh, for people who did not like what the Supreme Court did. Is it fair to say, though, that there are some people who are single-issue voters, and this is the single issue, and this gets them out, and that's mostly on the, the right-hand side of politics rather than the left. I think that there are there are people for whom this is the issue, sort of the the existential issue, quite literally, the life or death issue that that they vote on. But people have lots of other concerns. Again, I mean, look at what's happening with the economy. Look at what's happening uh, with uh, you know employment and education and healthcare. Certainly in this country, lots and lots of other things to think about. But yeah, there are some people who um, you know. It's a very bright line issue, I think, for a lot of people. And again, I think that the the right or the more conservative elements of, of American society uh, have been looking for a victory here for a very long time. Finally, they have it. I think they're going to want to uh, not give an inch of ground and they're going to try to gain more if they possibly can. Okay, so what are they going to try and gain now? We're talking to an expert from the Supreme Court last week. She says even contraception is up for grabs. What they're really talking about now, if you look at the way the ruling striking down Roe versus Wade was written, the opinion or the decision was written, you know, really calls into question a lot of other decisions that have been upheld by the court, like contraception, like uh, marriage equality, uh, you know, for lesbian and gay people. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things that people are really afraid could be more vulnerable now. Uh, and even as people are looking at uh, things like how to get emergency contraception or to get abortion medications, abortion-related medications online, traveling to other states, you do see things now going around saying to, uh, you know, gay uh, and lesbian couples, look, if you don't have a will, 
make one uh, if you don't have uh, instructions for what you want to have happen with your children, your property, and so on, all these things, you know, make those things now because we don't know how much protection we will have uh, from the law versus what we have right now in a few years. We don't know what decisions are coming down the line and people should be prepared. So just on that, if marriage equality or same-sex marriage, if that's reversed when somebody appeals to the Supreme Court, what happens to the people who got married in that 10 or 20 year window when it was legal? I think you would have a really hard time negating it. I don't think you can sort of grandfather in people who have already, uh, you know, formalized a union, uh, either a marriage or a civil union. Uh, but it might be that uh, in individual states or individual communities, they will no longer grant marriage licenses. People will not be allowed to perform them. People lose a lot of other rights, not just the right to say that they are legally married, but inheritance, hospital visitation, medical proxy. There are a lot of things that go along with uh, marriage, uh, as opposed to just being able to say that you are legally married. There's a lot of, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of legal groundwork there for people to uh, make decisions about what happens, uh, who makes decisions for them if they're in trouble, what happens to the children, uh, what happens in a divorce proceeding, income, all these kinds of things, uh, insurance coverage. There's, you know, the list goes on. And so I don't think for people who are legally married, I would see it as a very, very difficult decision to say that that, you know, sort of magically poof that all goes away. But I think it's for people who are uh, in long-term partnerships but are not legally married. Uh, because in some of these states where you don't have the protection of that legal union, even if you've been with somebody for 20 years, 30 years, you own a home together, you have children that you've raised together, they might still say, sorry, uh, I understand that this person is in the hospital, but uh, only relatives are allowed to visit them and you have no legal relationship to this person, get lost. So just before we move on, yeah, for a country that has built itself on freedom and the idea of what freedom is and free expression or keeping government out of their lives, what's the argument that people have when something like, say, you know, take abortion away, we'll talk about that, but like gay marriage, it does not affect somebody in the slightest if somebody else is married. Why are they so keen on imposing their view on somebody else? You could ask that question probably for lots of different things. I mean, fundamentally, the, the right to be left alone is, is very important and very powerful in, in American life and in, in you know, lots of different societies. It, it really is a, a very difficult question. Is it sort of the, the Puritan ethic that... Uh, still has a great deal of, of pull in American society and American history and, and in the way our laws are written, uh, you know, is it some sort of, you know, biblical belief that marriage is between one man and one woman? Uh, fundamentally, you would think that if marriage is a stabilizing force, if it, uh, you know, if, if it allows things to proceed more clearly uh, in terms of uh, any legal issues and so on. Yeah. I mean, it would be questionable to say, 
why why should the government be involved in preventing something that contributes to stability in society to the formation of stable families of having two-parent households you know lots of the things that uh, the conservative movement seems to stand for um and then just fundamentally why is it anybody's business i mean we're we're now talking about um you states going even further saying they would uh, they would enforce sodomy laws things like that uh you know it, it really becomes a question of of privacy and and individual choice and uh, if we are supposed to be guaranteed uh, life liberty and the pursuit of happiness uh yeah. you know all of those things equally then it, it's sometimes difficult to explain how that how that quite fits in not only that, again, before we leave this, the whole idea of what's called full faith and credit, that if your marriage is recognised in one state, it should be recognised in every state. Is that going to be the case? You get married in California, but it's not recognised in Mississippi? It, I, you know, again, there is sort of a, a, I think the legal term or one of the legal terms for that is reciprocity, right? If you uh, if you accept our law, we, you, we will accept your law. I think that goes for things like actually gun permits, to be honest with you, uh, things like that. But I, I don't know. Uh, again, I think a lot of these things now are going to be sort of brought into question. But uh, for for many states, of course, I mean, if you have a driver's license or something from New York State, you can drive with it in Massachusetts. You yes. don't have to go get a Massachusetts driver's license. Just the idea of how complicated and and sort of uh, expensive and time consuming this would be to have, uh, you know, all fifty states having to accept, um, yeah, know, or make make a decision about whether or not they would accept. Uh, from complicated but look there are states that want nothing to do with it yeah um and thanks very much to chris who's just texted in we've got some sad news the death of the great actor james khan one of uh, of course he played sunny in the godfather um he reckoned he held the record at one point of of going out on a date with every playboy playmate for about 10 years uh, wow. which was something to boast about, I suppose. But yes, uh, Sonny um, from The Godfather, James Kahn has died. Thanks very much for that, Chris. All right, now, speaking of which, let's move on to the uh, January 6th investigation um, that's currently being uh, conducted by the uh, the Congress. Who is next up to give their evidence? Yeah, the the big news is that there will be testimony, although not necessarily public testimony, but the former White House counsel, a guy named Pat Cipollone, uh, will be uh, speaking to the congressional panel on Friday um, about what he knew, although Again, this is this one's going to be complicated, though, because I mean, he was White House counsel. There may be a lot of issues of attorney client privilege. There was a lot of uh, a lot of effort to sort of keep him out of this. But I guess he is going to be uh, cooperating to the degree he can or the degree that, you know, they agree to. But he definitely had a front row seat to a lot of what was going on in the Trump White House broadly and then very specifically on the day of the Capitol insurrection. So. Certainly somebody who had a lot of interesting things to to share, should he uh, be willing and able. So the question is about attorney-client privilege. Was his client the president individually or 
the president of the United States? Was it Donald Trump or was it the presidency? You know, and can he say, I mean, who was it? Somebody uh, the other day, I can't remember who it was, one of uh, Trump's uh, supporters, was asked um, whether he believed in the peaceful transfer of power and he, he took the fifth. He wouldn't even admit that he, he, he believed in that. I mean, it's quite possible that um, he's just going to come out and uh, refuse to answer. Now, I think that might have been uh, Michael Flynn. Yes, it was who Michael was Flynn, that's right. It wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, it's and, a pretty um, easy answer to that question, don't you think? <laughs> if you want to talk about uh, you know things, things that are provided for explicitly in the Constitution, there is a, a very mm. prescribed uh, uh, set of rules about how this is supposed to work. But um, yeah, from, from what I understand, he was the White House counsel. He was not the individual or private yeah. attorney to Donald Trump as a uh, as a person. Uh, so I think that his work was, uh, you know, certainly for for the people, for the government. Um, were there were there situations that they discussed? I don't know if classified information or, you know, a pending litigation or something like that. I mean, I think it's reasonable to assume that there are some things that he's going to say he can't discuss because of attorney client, but he was not sort of Rudy Giuliani, right? He is not sort of an outside private personal attorney for whom everything would be privileged. All those conversations would be privileged. I don't think that's how it works. Mm. So do you think he's going to tell us what happened? I hope so. And and he's not going to be doing it in this sort of televised way that, that you and I have talked about and lots yeah. of people have seen or heard or read about with, uh, you know, the television cameras running and, and every word and, and, you know, uh, gavel to gavel coverage. It's not going to be that. But a lot of closed door testimony has been brought out in the televised sessions. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing exactly how much of what he has to say we are going to uh, have access to. Because the story that we're being told, everyone is kind of telling the same story about how, and maybe they've kind of thrown the president under the bus here, even though, yes, it seems as though, of course, he was doing his best to prevent the transfer of power, to stop Mike Pence from certifying the results of the election and staying in power. Everyone is telling that same story, aren't they? Yeah, there's been a lot of corroboration among all the people that we have heard from in these hearings. And Cipollone, uh, this you know, former White House counsel will be very interesting because a number of people have testified. Most recently, I think Cassidy Hutchinson, who gave some extremely explicit testimony about Donald Trump's behavior and this incident where he was supposedly trying to like throttle a Secret Service agent who wouldn't take him to the Capitol and throwing his lunch against the wall and all these kind of sort of churlish things, really. Um, but Cipollone apparently was the one who said, look, we cannot let the president go to the Capitol. We will be uh, we could be prosecuted for all kinds of crimes if if we let this happen. This absolutely cannot be permitted to take place. So I will be interested to see how they question him about that and how he responds, how much of what we have already heard about that from other people he's willing to corroborate. Because there is footage of the president's limo on the day of January 6th, and it is it seems clear that uh, the president is in some ways not attacking his driver but is remonstrating pretty furiously we don't know what was going on inside the car, but the evidence that people have given seems to be corroborated by the video of what we've seen. I think that 
ultimately, and look, I mean, nobody wants to hear about the president or even the former president having a sort of a temper tantrum. I mean, you you want somebody who has the nuclear codes to be to be sort of a steady hand at the teller. But, mm. uh, you know, at the same time, it's it's not a crime to get angry. It's not a crime to yell at people or curse or yeah. Uh, even sort of fling your lunch. Sure. I mean, I think th this what they were trying to do there was to show that the sort of the temperament and the mindset uh, on that day was was not one of of sort of uh, steady, yeah. uh, reliable leadership. And yet that was what we were constantly told. You couldn't have a woman as president because they're irrational. And yet we've seen evidence that a male president was like that. And finally this morning, oh, dear. Uh, a white supremacist march in Boston, this, I suppose, is part of the freedom of speech, isn't it? Yeah, there was this, uh, I think, about 100 people marching through Boston over the weekend, and they're part of this group called Patriot Front, which has been, uh, which has been found in, in other parts of the country, but this is a white nationalist group. And uh, allegedly, they even got involved in sort of harassing or even physically attacking a black man who was uh, in the city at that time. And people are really just trying to figure out now, how did all these guys manage to sort of organize and meet up and stage this rally and they were wearing masks they're carrying shields uh you know th this was not they, they were not there carrying sort of uh buttercups and and daisies and and singing kumbaya i mean this was a show of force and a show of force by a group that is notoriously notoriously racist and supremacist so uh there's there's a lot of discussion in boston and frankly a lot of finger pointing about why wasn't this known sooner how did these guys uh, organize under the radar you're talking about uh, the capital insurrection and things like that you know similarly there have been a lot of discussions about how were these people able to meticulously plan to come together this was not a, an organic yeah. protest this was something with forethought all righty. Oh it's all sad news, isn't it? Celeste, thank you very much for that, though, and uh, talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, the great Celeste Katzmaston in Boston.